DNA Podcast, your go-to source for nerd knowledge in the 21st century. I'm your host, Steve Pugh, and join with me tonight is Jacques Zewipel. Uh, but before we get lost in his dreamy eyes over here and his witty stories, uh, you know what? Actually, welcome to the show, good sir. How are you doing? It's good to be here. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing uh, fairly well. Not too shabby. Uh, I live up in New England area, and it's been really cold. So, yes. you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the cold. I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm not going to lie, because, you know, why else would I live up here? Uh but <laughs> the 22 degrees we had yesterday, I was not a fan of. Uh, wait, where, where do you live? I'm just I'm just outside Boston. Are you really? I didn't know that. Oh my gosh! And I'm interviewing you, and I didn't know yeah. that. I live yeah. so I I actually I just had some guys um uh, actually on from Boston not too long ago. Uh, great guys uh, called Classic Gaming Brothers. They do retro games. Um, oh nice. I I live in Southington, so I'm like down at southern uh, Southern Connecticut and everything. Uh, yeah. So I. I I, you get it. You get it. Uh, I do. I mean, like my, <laughs> I, so I'm not a native New Englander, but I have been in New England long enough that I hear you call Connecticut New England. And a part of me is just like, oh, OK, so like I'm that. not a New Englander or <laughs> Connecticut or I know there's some fun terms for them. Uh, but, you know, I'm not originally from here either. I'm I'm a Navy brat. So I'm like from Virginia. Uh, my family lives in Indiana, like right up by Chicago. So, you know. It's I'm all over. I'm like actually one of the, I think the only Southern people in the world that doesn't have a Southern accent. So when okay. I go home, they're like, you talk funny. And I'm like, no, I talk yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, so I was born in Texas and I still get called Yankee when I go down there. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. great. The first, the first time I did the Louisiana fair, I think I, I basically, I was getting called Yankee at least once a day. And I was like, well, you know, I've been, in, I've been in the Northeast at this point for like 30 years. So, I mean, I guess I guess it's fair, but also should, up, should you come up, <laughs> should you come up with a new character persona for your 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 entertainment then based on like Brent the Bostoner? I have, I, <laughs> the Boston. No, so the one the one bit that I always wanted to do is I want to do the show in like a like a heavy New York accent. So I grew up mostly in New Jersey, New York. Okay. And like I remember like I moved up to Boston and the Jersey shore got really popular and people were like, Oh my God, Jersey is just like that. I'm like, that's half the guys I went to high school with. <laughs> so I have always wanted to do, I have a, I have a set in my show where I, I, I whip air quotes, dangerous animals. And these uh -huh. are stuffed animal, like it's a teddy bear <laughs> or a stuffed dog. And the, the running joke is, you know, they just say you are walking through the woods. You are walking through the woods and you come across a dangerous bear. You call, you, you come across a bear. You call for me, Shexy with bear. And I will beat them for you. But what I really discovered, I discovered this in college in my mm -hmm. professional voice and speech class where we had to do our final exam in four different accents. And my cat is playing with a plastic bag. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting so, for mine to run across. <laughs> yeah. So we had to do the, a speech in four different accents. And I was like, I don't want to learn lines. So I'll just do my show. Mm -hmm. And so I did it in uh, normal American, French, obviously, uh, Southern. And then I did New York. And I did New York for the animals bit. And it came across like a mafioso running a protection. <laughs> like, all right. Let's say you're walking through the woods. Listen, if you're walking through the woods and you come across a dangerous bear, listen, you call for me, Jack the Whipper, and I will whip them for you, all right? 
I'll do it even for free. I'm a good guy. That's how I work. How I how I work. All right. I like it. I like it. Well played. Um, so typically we try to start the show, even though we just went on. Uh, by the way, we go on tangents. This. Oh yeah. Uh, we do very much tangents. I I contemplated naming the show like just call it random nerdy tangents. Uh, but we try to talk about what's latest and greatest in nerd culture. Um, I don't know if you've seen these yet. And if you don't have them on your show now, I'm going to be strongly disappointed. Uh, Build-A-Bear has created a sexy bear catalog. They have, I don't know if you've got to look these up. Aren't those like $100 though? They're something stupid expensive. Yeah. And they have a, like, they're they're naughty nighttime bears. They have like the uh, Hugh Hefner silk robes and everything. (laughs) I can see it already. Um, I no, I do not have one of those. I'm sorry, <laughs> I do not I do not blow a hundred dollars on a build a bear to then like whip that bear and like roll it around in dirt. <laughs> Just get like a little silk robe and put it on like some cheapo CVS bear. That yeah. You find. yeah, there you go. There you go. I did. I wanted to get uh, one of those a CVS bear that for Valentine's Day one year many years ago. It had like a big heart on its chest and it said, take me home. And I was like, I need to use that in the show. And then I, I have never been able to find it since. Oh, well, maybe when the listeners will find it and be like, hey, here you go. Send it your way. Someday. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you are a little bit of a nerdy guy. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show and you were telling about your stuff. Um, I don't know how much of a movie guy you are, but uh, have you seen yeah. the new Lord of the Rings trailer? series that's coming um, I out. think I so I saw a little bit of the trailer during the Super Bowl but mm. um we were playing board games instead of actually watching the Super Bowl <laughs> so I actually missed I saw like half of it out of the corner of my eye be I'm honest you just totally you just familiar. watched it for the halftime show Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre I'm not sure what I was watching it for although I did I the halftime show was absolutely my favorite part mm. of the day as as a child of the 90s and early 2000s I was a big fan of that halftime show yeah um i'm excited for it just personally because um it's interesting this i I, i'm typically not a a prequel person Mm -hmm. for stuff especially when you already know the story but it seems like they're building it up in a interesting like a positive way um they're doing a lot of the peter uh peter jackson style cinematography and i'm excited to see how they're going to complement that to the shows because i always felt like i i liked all the lord of rings and even the hobbits i know there is like that gap where people are like 50 50 about the hobbit uh mm-hmm. whether or not it was a cash grab or if it was like actually meant to it was be absolutely a cash grab it doesn't oh, necessarily no, it was bad no doubt about it <laughs> we there's no doubt about it hollywood had dollar signs in their eyes and peter jackson wanted work however is it it was if it was a fan service or not um, I'm also a big Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis fan. Yeah. So yeah. seeing them being able to work together, oh, chef's kiss. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see where it's going. Uh, the other trailer that I saw and that came out actually during the Super Bowl, uh, the Doctor Strange trailer. That uh, I saw. I went uh, back and I watched that later. Uh, I am excited about that. That looks really cool. So is it was it just me and I th- mm. i've seen a few other people is it was that patrick stewart's voice in there yeah i think so yes i'm almost 100 confident that is patrick stewart's voice and that's how they're going to bring in the x-men 
Oh, God, oh. I didn't even think about that. Professor X. Professor That's X. right. That oh could have. Now, Let me if, hand over my nerd card. <laughs> <laughs> now, if that is Professor X, and if they are bringing in, there is a slim chance that we are seeing what's, uh, I don't know how much of a comic buff you are, but the Illuminati. Which that would I don't be, know. So the Illuminati. My X-Men knowledge is very spot. So it's, it's, he was not even, I think, truly a member of the uh, Illuminati, but the Illuminati was like the, the brains, all the smartest people from all the universes. Actually, if I remember correctly, uh, Dr. Reed even did his own words, all the Dr. Reeds from all the multiverses. But, yeah. you know, I think it could be how they bring in the Fantastic Four, how they bring in the X-Men, because Dr. Reed is a super genius, Professor X is and that yeah. could just be glorious that's uh, interesting i so i saw the um i think someone accidentally posted the full cast for dr strange on uh -huh. like the movie listing like like they did with spider-man no way home mm, uh, and yeah <laughs> accidentally um have you seen this have not no no i, I saw it on TikTok. all right so then I, I won't say anything to spoil anything but there were there were some names in there that i was a i was a little surprised to see and then i was not at all surprised to see okay um, although i will say this i did not see patrick stewart there interesting so if it's not patrick stewart's voice i don't know who it is but i so, seriously thought i heard it was patrick stewart's voice one yeah so did i one name i did see that i i can't yeah, spoil away would be a would be would be a spoiler uh, I saw Tom Cruise's name. I think he is going to be the bad guy. Uh, there's a part of me that believes he's going to be Mephisto. Uh, if not oh, Mephisto, oh, he'd be good at that. Um, he's going to be on the the. I say this air quotes demons because you know it's yeah. Marvel. Uh, the yeah. he's going to be the villain. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Um, I yeah. remember them saying something a while ago about who he could have played. But yes, I, I, I'm not a Tom Cruise fan, but I'm curious to see what he can do. He's a great actor. Um, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I've always uh, thought he plays villains really well. And, and he doesn't get enough credit for how well he plays them. I think back to Collateral, to the, uh, the okay. movie where he's a hitman with Jamie Foxx. I loved him in that movie. And I'm usually I, not a huge Tom Cruise guy. I like, <laughs> going really old school, um, Interview with a Vampire yes yes same thing yeah it's that same kind of where like his his manic, he's a villain but he's not a villain yeah you know? he's he's it's that that manic side or like that he's he's got that silky smoothness mm -hmm. down to a point where like if he just turns it slightly one way or another it can go from charming to really creepy be really quickly and i think just, that's what he did with lestat or or what he did with collateral it, 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 he's either got to do that or he's got to do tropic thunder tom cruise i actually <laughs> tropic thunder what? it's been on my list for so long i will say this it didn't age well i'm sure it did <laughs> I, 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 I can think of one thing that i sure didn't age oh, well at all yes it did not I, age I as well it even started well <laughs> uh, but you know it, it it, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that let's let's let it live in the past, <laughs> I think, just a little bit. But, sir, we did not come here to talk about movies. We came here. Well, you know what? Maybe we did a little bit, but we came here to talk about you and to uh, educate the listeners on who you are, 
what you do and what makes you such an, an entertaining person to just be in the presence of. Um, and I, I'll start with this is like, like we were talking earlier, I found you on TikTok. So you're doing that marketing on there. You're, you're putting those, those hashtags in beautifully because you came up on my thing and I watched you be just absolutely energetic. And you, you do, you have this aura about you that you just personify fun and comedic almost to the, I would say almost to like a Deadpool level. I like you're just oh, nice. happy go luckiness. Yes. I'll take that compliment. I don't um, know if I'm quite as rated R as Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I'll, I'll brush up against it. Just slightly graze it, just let it silky touch it. We, yeah, I mean, like we do the, we do the PG-13 show at the end of the day and, and like we're very aware we have one F-bomb for every 90 minutes we're on stage. So every third show we can drop one F-bomb. Do you save it for like that special moment? <laughs> I, I so the the last one year the last show of the year we hadn't done an f-bomb the entire season mm. and so that's however you know that's dozens of show, more than a dozen shows and so i i did as a whip song no more f-ks to give that's awesome and i even i even got another performer who could play the ukulele to come out play it he had those big like you know don't bother me sunglasses and yes. a cigarette hanging out of his mouth while he played it. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's great. Um, so there's always that joke. I'm going to run away and join the circus. You grew up in the circus. Good, sir. Yes. Um, I ran away to join an office. What the hell is that? <laughs> is that is, that's awesome. You went the opposite way. Uh, what was that like growing up in the circus and how did that, um, and boost you into this entertainment business that you're in now? Well, so it's a funny thing just to like, just to start with that because my father was and still is a circus performer. Mm -hmm. My mother, who's now retired, was a college professor with a doctorate in anthropology. So very different. They met at a Renaissance fair and that was how they started dating. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah, you know, like you do. Uh, <laughs> but so my mother wanted nothing to do with circus and obviously that was my dad's livelihood and so my mother was big she's like you will take science classes all four years of high school you will take science classes when you go off to your arts college whatever that is you know <laughs> you, you're going to take four years of math whether you like it or not I'm like I don't want to do all this I want to take acting classes so I still got actually a pretty normal upbringing it just sort of accentuated by these you know the first six years of my life we lived on the circus lot after that I would go off you know on tour with my dad for a month at a time sometimes um you know we, we went on we did a world tour we did Vancouver Taiwan back to the U.S. and then back home um and this was in the middle of I think it was third or fourth grade and they you know they just let me take all of my homework with me they were like, read up to this point in this book, write this report and give it all to me when you get home. So you, right off the bat, you got a very broad perspective as a childhood of like cultural differences and just. And I don't know, because like at, I, I was, I think I was nine years old um, mm -hmm. when we went, we went to Taiwan, which would be, you know, like the big um, cultural difference, you know, Vancouver. Sure. It's a different country, but you know, it's still largely the same. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, what I distinctly remember of Taiwan is uh, wanting to beat all the kids there at video games because <laughs> we, one, like everywhere we went, there was an arcade somewhere. And two, um, I think I had it in my brain that like 
it was the same as Japan where like all these games that I played on Sega Genesis were made. And I was like, oh, these kids must be like the best of the best at the video game. So if I can beat them, I'm the greatest in the world. So I was determined to beat them in all of the arcades that I went to. My dad, um, and, and the, the other thing is at the time like i had bright like platinum blonde hair so it was like there was no mistaking me for like anyone <laughs> local <laughs> my dad is kind of you know like my dad you know, was in his 40s at the time he's like it was a very odd thing to watch seeing you know all these kids gathered around watching you play or like playing against you and them all talking to each other and none of us can understand a word of what they're saying Mm. And you're just this little blonde kid playing Street Fighter or whatever. <laughs> um, w- did you do anything in the shows at that young age or were you just traveling with? At that point, so I was stage crew. Uh, okay. So I would help my dad set up. I would tear, uh, help it, you know, tear down all the stuff. I mean, he, he had like three or four giant suitcases, each like 50 pounds full of props, gear, so on and so forth that we needed to prep for the show and then take down after each show. I don't think he was paying me much. I think he was paying me like five bucks a show or maybe it was five bucks for setup, five bucks for teardown. But we were doing like three shows a day usually. So it was, you know, 30 bucks a day for a nine-year-old. That's a ton. That's, that's um, no. My yeah. son's allowance, he's 10, is I allow him to live. So, you know, yeah. there we go. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, yeah, so how did that affect you? So did that inspire you to go into being, to creating this character and doing the shows that you do? No, so after that, I think around the time I was 11, basically when when being a circus kid stopped being cool in school Mm. and started, suddenly became a social liability, I wanted nothing to do with the circus. I I was like, yeah, you go do your shows. I'm going to, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to focus on my, focus on my, my studies. Education. Um, Yes. Makes sense. And I, I got it. My first job was at uh, Cold Stone Creamery. I was making, I think it was six twenty five an hour at the time. Mm. Um, and my dad called me up one day. He's like, I need help with this show. I will pay you. I think it was the equivalent of like $50 an hour mm. um, for a day's worth of work. And I was like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> sure, I'm there. <laughs> and I was like, okay, clearly I'm not doing this right. Um, we, should, we should think about doing more circus work. So the next Christmas, he got me a whip for Christmas. Uh, I took that out in the backyard, started practicing with it, got semi-decent at it, enough that I could do all of his tricks. Um, And then when I came up to Boston for college a couple of years uh, after that, I started doing street shows um, in Harvard Square. They weren't good. I was making like (laughs) 20 bucks an hour if I was lucky. Um, So it was, you know, you know, still not a great option, but it helped me sort of get through those early days when you're really not that good at performing. Um, you don't know how to talk to a crowd. You don't know how to hold a crowd. But after a couple of years of that, I was like, let me try, let me try Renaissance fairs because we had done Renaissance fairs growing up. Um, mm-hmm. I knew the scene. Um, we had done King Richard's Fair in Massachusetts uh, when I was very, very young. Um, one of the first, I think the first place I ever performed actually as a kid. Fun. Um, and so I got in there. Uh, I think we did a one-day audition, my dad and I, and then they hired me solo the next year. Um, and that's where we've been now for 15, uh, 14 years since. So so how did you come up with your your French character, Jacques, to say with her? 
that was so the summer that I, that before I auditioned for King Richards, or maybe it was yeah, it was the summer before I auditioned. My dad and I were sort of talking about what uh, the character should be. So my dad, way back in the eighties, had a, a very successful uh, Renaissance fair act mm. called Rogoff and Fool. It was a trio act, and he said, "What makes a great Ren fair act is is being able is is having a character, having comedy, having something to draw the audience in, other than." Here's this trick, here's this trick, here's this trick. What makes you different? What sets you apart? And so the idea that we were playing with was that I was gonna be super full of myself, but also just really silly. Mm -hmm. And then I think that sort of naturally evolved into, my dad was like, you can make him French. I'm Jixie Weaver, <laughs> um, And he goes, oh, you can even draw on a little mustache. I'm like, that's, that's dumb, that's really dumb. And I did not do that. And then after like the first week of the performance, I was like, oh, I'm give it a shot. And it was like, as soon as I did that, it clicked because whips are this in, in this weird category of like a lot of the time when people see whips, they're not sure what to make of you. Um, <laughs> and being that silly and that ridiculous kind of diffuses that natural tension, whether it's from the machismo, the, you know, the unfortunate connotations with whips from from history or the unfortunate yeah. connotations with whips from uh, sexuality or you know, <laughs> all of that there there are a lot of different ways we can go with whips and not all of them are, are where i want the audience to be going you have and very so specific tastes yeah so being being drawing on a, a mustache and speaking in a french accent i feel like people are like oh oh this is dumb okay all right <laughs> um <laughs> You recently had, well, you're recovering now, but uh, you recently yeah. had uh, an incident with your thumb, uh, is an injury. What what happened? Um, so this is this is my like very. This is the opposite of my nerdy side. So uh -huh. I still play baseball um, as a fully grown adult. I play in a men's twenty eight, age twenty eight, and over league. Mm -hmm. um, so at that level. You, you're, you're not getting the guys who are, you know, who are just cut from the minors. Um, mm. People generally aren't throwing 90 miles an hour. Um, but I was playing in an 18 and up tournament at the end of the year in November, the end of the season. Mm. And uh, they were throwing 90. And so oh. <laughs> we were, we were in a tie ball game last inning. I was like, okay, I'm fast. If I bunt, I get on base, I steal second on the winning run. We just need a single to, to, to win the game. Um, so I went to bunt, but this guy was throwing so hard as I didn't realize he had been throwing two seam fastballs, which as a right-hander, they cut back towards a right-hander, which I am. Mm. So I went to bunt and I didn't see the ball moving back towards my hands. And so it, it, I felt like I fouled it straight back. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel it hit my thumb. So I was like, ah, oh, damn, I missed my chance there to like, you know, squeeze a bunt past them, get on base. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm walking around the batter's box and I go to get in. I'm like, my thumb feels weird. Like it didn't hurt. It's just like, huh. And I like kind of poke it. I'm like, I can't really feel that. What's going on? And I, I call time and I take my batting glove off and my thumb just looks terrible. Uh, and I was like, oh, I have a broken thumb. That's right. I must've gotten hit on the thumb. Uh, I got to go drive myself to the emergency room. <laughs> so that was november 7th or 8th i had surgery on it a week later basically i broke it in two places wow. between the sort of like the two middle knuckles sort of at the base of your thumb yeah and then also at the they call it the distal phalanx i've, I've learned all these knuckles sort of the, the last knuckle before you get to the fingernail um i kind of cracked it there 
unfortunately, where there's also a ligament attached. Um, so that basically I had to have three pins put into my thumb, one going down the length of my thumb uh, to keep everything in place. So Holy I'm better now. Like I can, I can hold things. We're getting the strength back, but the, the range of motion is still really not there. I, if I were to make a fist, my thumb would still poke, you know, towards whoever I was trying to punch. Well, let's hope for a, a more rapid recovery because we definitely want you uh, doing more of your, your tricks. Um, and when I was getting ready for this interview, I, I wanted to try to do as much research on, you know, whips and, uh, you know, techniques and stuff like that. And it took me down some really interesting alleys. I'm not <laughs> going to lie. I learned a, I found a, a lot of websites that I, I, I probably started to avoid. <laughs> avoid looking up whips you, you got to be very be specific when you that. search <laughs> uh, but yeah you even you you have a wide variety selection um you have and there's a ton out there uh how did you decide on which whips to use for your shows and how many do you have i i probably have almost two dozen at this point if not really? more um, wow. well it's sort of like whips will get like they're at the point where they're no longer good enough to use in a show but you mm. can still crack them so mm. like i just they get rotated out they get put in my trunk down in the basement um but starting out it was just kind of so whips are really expensive especially if you're getting leather whips which when i first started out was kind of your only option mm. um there were some paracord whips and nylon whips but they weren't anywhere near as durable or as good. So mm. I was getting leather whips and leather whips cost, you know, three to $600 every single time. So starting out, um, I had a whip my dad got me for my 18th birthday. Um, that one I still have, it is held together by fishing line and electrical tape at this point. Um, but it's still the most accurate whip I have ever used. So it still has a place in my bag. Um, then after that, I got a couple of bigger whips just to do some like more flashy stuff. Mm. Um, and then I want to say in 2012, I filled in for Adam Winrich at a show and I got to try out some of his whips and he has these what are called performance hybrid whips. Mm. So all the whips I've been using up until now are the kind of whips you see in Indiana Jones. They're just general bull whips, um, shorter handle, braided together. You would, it's exactly what you think of when you, when you think of a whip. Mm. Uh, but he had these performance hybrids, which one made out of PVC pipe and a basically paracord braided together. Mm. Um, and because the materials are cheaper, they're generally like 150, 200 a piece. Mm. Um, and they're also super light. So you can get two of them made at the same time and you can start doing fancier two-handed routines. So that was what I started using. And the reason they're called hybrid whips is because they're a hybrid between a bull whip and what's called a stock whip, which I have one. I am not good with stock whips at all, but basically they have like a hinge connecting the handle to the braided part of the whip. I don't know how they work. I have one, I can barely crack it. And that's kind of where I'm like, ah, I'm good, I'm good, that's, that's fine. Um, but so the performance hybrids were then when I started realizing, I'm like, oh, I can make different beats. I can sing songs to this. The songs that I sing, uh, for those who haven't seen the show, I make a beat, I sing songs. We change the lyrics to be whip appropriate. Um, <laughs> and uh, we were I was doing a show actually with someone else who could crack whips. And I was just sitting there doing what's, what's called, I think a fast figure eight where you go bum bum in one hand, bum bum. 
And he was over there and he just started cracking. And, and we, we realized after a second, we just kind of lined up doing boom, boom, bah, boom, boom, bah, boom, bah. And we both looked at each other. We're like, oh, we and so we started singing that. So I was like, okay, that's, that's good. And then I, I figured out a few other beats that I could do. And, and now here we are, you know, 10 years later, where this is probably about a third of my show. You, and you're a brave man. I, I will give you that because I, I've, I've watched your TikToks. Um, I want to definitely come see you, especially now that I know, you know, when I was looking you up and that you do King Richard. Um, you are brave because you ask people to name off songs. And you get a variety of songs. <laughs> um, well, here's the trick about that. Yes. You don't call on people and ask them what song they want. Uh, you say, someone give me a, a request and a bunch of people will yell out stuff and you can kind of listen for songs that you know or songs that you know well. The only issue is when you have like a small child ask for a song. <laughs> like I was in Louisiana one time and I asked, I asked the crowd for requests. No one said anything. And then this like nine-year-old girl goes, can you do our God is an awesome God? And I was like, oh no. I'm like, one, I don't know that song. Two, I can't make fun of that song in front of a rural Louisiana. <laughs> You're a dead yeah, man. I, so I, I, I got her to sing it while I, I did a beat, like trying to find the beat. And I was like, great, everyone. Yeah, clap for her. Oh, we're well, well, <laughs> What was the, uh, what would you say your most difficult song you ever did was? Anything by Taylor Swift. <laughs> so people there's something about taylor swift songs where the beat moves around the beat changes and i have to give her credit for making more complicated songs because just about any pop song you can do to a just a, a standard one two three four one two three i can do every lady gaga song to that beat um taylor swift songs a lot of them do not work to that beat for some reason because oh. she speeds up and slows so if you think of, um, I, I discovered this when uh, Shake It Off became really- I was literally gonna ask popular. that song. <laughs> yeah, because Shake It Off is like this bum, 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 And it's like, wh where's that beat? I can't find that beat. So it's like, I either have to go super slow or super fast to find it. And that's been, that's been the, the running issue for me. Um, Britney Would Spears' you... Toxic is tough. Mm -hmm. um, any any kind of rap is is always hard because rap moves so fast you don't have time to think of lyrics. So unless you have it pre-planned in your head, <laughs> it's not a good, not a good idea. Duly noted. Get a bunch of people to ask you to play something by Busta Rhymes. Got it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> now I do. I will say I do have a few rap songs prepared by a myriad of artists. So you know there is a chance that they could ask. You know, so it's it's the kind of thing where like if someone asks me to do. Um, you know, like Will Smith's Wild Wild West, I'll say, oh, no, no, but what about Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? That I can do. And then they um, just start screaming, hooting and hollering. Yeah, and they'll be like, okay, I'll accept that. <laughs> um, without it being cliche, whip it. Um, whip, whip it by Devo. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When a problem comes along, you must whip it. When a cream sets out too long, you must whip it. When a person wants this song, <laughs> you must whip it. You may you just I just make long, angry eye contact with whoever asked for it. I'm gonna say is is with I was gonna ask is that like the most requested song for you or <sighs> Freebird is really yeah because everyone you know play Freebird the joke 
Um, I mean, like I, I posted a TikTok of just like years of people screaming TikTok at me in sh- or screaming Freebird at me in, in shows. <laughs> it's every, almost every single show. That's awesome. Uh- <laughs> but Whip It is up there. Um, Crazy Train, I get a lot because I used to do Crazy Train as part of the show. Um, oh. But I, I will recycle songs. You know, so basically I have two planned songs, maybe three, and I will recycle the second and third ones in and out as as time goes on but it's though the planned songs are always tough because it has to be something that people are going to recognize and they're going to recognize immediately mm-hmm. now so, do you do, do you just do solo shows with yourself or do you do duets um i know you do some stuff that look like a with a gentleman who's a flame juggler uh he does the torture show so he actually does uh fire eating fire fire breathing and he does knife throwing in his show. But my show is all solo. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, at King Richard's mm-hmm. Fair, we do what's called the secret show. And the secret show is half improvised, half, it's sort of like we have places that we know we need to get to. Like we mm-hmm. know what tricks we're going to do. We're not going to rehearse those tricks beforehand. Um, <clears throat> we know you know, certain lines that we need to say, but we're not sure how we're going to get to those lines over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the start of every show, he and I do seven to 10 minutes of just musical whips to just sort of build in the crowd because that's the end of the day show for them. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get everyone who's walking towards the front gate, which is our stage is on the way. We're trying to um, get them to come in and watch our show. So that goes about seven minutes of audience requests. And then at the end, we'll have one or two songs that we have prepared that will be a little bit more in depth. So in years past, that's been um, Hooked on a Feeling. It's been Crazy Train. We did Shia LaBeouf one year. We got like a full cast production of Shia LaBeouf with like fire dancers and aerial hula hoop acrobats. Oh and my like gosh, that's people, awesome. Yeah, it was like, I, I need to find that video because I have that video somewhere. Um, and then this past year, it was uh, Welcome to the Internet by Bo Burnham. Oh my God. was such <laughs> yes. a ducking project because here's the thing. One, Bo Burnham is a very talented lyricist. Yes. I was like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do the entire first two and a half minutes until he gets to the slow part of that song. Yeah. So I had to first figure out what all the rhymes were. And then two, I had to learn those rhymes instead of his rhymes, because at this point I've listened to the song so much that I, I've memorized the original words by heart, but now I need to replace them with the other words. So it took about a week to write all the lyrics, and then it took two weeks to get the lyrics right. And then it probably took another two weekends of per- actually performing it to, to get it to the point where I felt That's good about it. awesome. So it, it's needless to say, you definitely have some seasoned experience in entertainment and we'll say a little bit of improv and whipping and doing all yes. your crap whip tricks. Uh, let's say somebody gets a wild hair and decides, you know what, I wanna be like Jack. What would be your recommendations for somebody like that? How would you tell them to get started? Pick up a whip, um, practice with it for an hour a day for about six months, and that'll get you to a pretty good, solid baseline. Um, As far as the improv, um, I took a 
bunch of improv classes when I was a kid. Mm. Um, and that's sort of helped me along. Um, but it had been probably five years since I had done any improv when I started doing my show. Um, and the other thing is think about the persona you want to portray. Um, you know, so Cess has a kind of a gruffer character when he's on stage. Cess is an absolute teddy bear, but when he's on stage, he kind of has that like big, tough biker vibe. Um, and so he gets a lot of those people at his show. Whereas I have this kind of like, how did someone describe it? Um, cute, sassy with modern references vibe. So I get a lot of the, you know, sort of the 16 to 35 crowd. So you're the bard. Um, I would say so. You know, I, I've actually never played a bard in D&D because people, everyone says that. So I'm like, no, I'm not playing a bard. Although I have threatened our DM in our current campaign that if he kills my character, we're playing Curse of Strahd. I've told him, if you kill my character in Curse of Strahd, you are getting the horniest bard. You, you gotta have a horny bard. There's gotta be a horny bard in every game. It's, it's almost, it's almost a necessity on the equivalence of there's gotta be a mimic and there's always going to be some type of dragon. It's they're, I have they're mandatory. Not encountered a mimic yet. Uh, I mean, I've only done like two campaigns. So you did I'm Death still, House too, and you didn't encounter a mimic. Oh yes, we did. That's right. I'm sorry. We the thing is, we encountered it, but we killed it immediately because I just I I kept see I just kept mage handing literally everything. I was like, I'm not touching anything in this house. And so we saw it was the mimic, and we just fire bolted it from far away. I know we kind of talked about this off screen and everything, but. Like I said, I, my team, because so uh, the, I, on my side, I am a mailman and or letter carrier. And yeah. so I have worked with a bunch of guys, at the post office, we, they, they listened to my show and they got interested and they wanted to do D and D. So we call it I monsters it. and mailmen. So I love it. <laughs> uh, and it's one of the guys, he is a hardcore, like Boston dude. Like he's from like Southside Quincy and everything. Yes. And he's got that hardcore Boston accent. Uh, he, it's great. Cause he's like, yeah, can we play D and D? And I'm like, yeah, all right. Well, and like, he's, <laughs> I'm going to be the bad kid. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's a, it's great. But we're, we're having to take a, a sabbatical from Strahd because they actually just burnt down a quarter of Velaki. Uh, oh, they almost did the same thing. Uh, they successfully did it. Uh, yeah, they so killed. How did they do it. I'm curious. <laughs> so here's how did it this... involve the festival. Uh, no, they didn't make it to the festival. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. They were going to. So you you obviously have done this, and spoilers for anybody else. Um, they actually uh, went and went to go see the Burgermeister. Screwed up the dinner with him. Yes, they screwed up dinner I, with him. We actually have not gotten to the dinner with the Burgermaster. Well, just don't do what they did. Uh, they okay. actually got drunk. Their characters got drunk and they were failing oh, no. every constitution save oh, ever. No. Any saves. Um, and so then they're like, hey, you know what? We're going to take care of your arch enemy. Uh, so they went to a bar, uh, accidentally killed one of the brothers outside. So they got one of the two of the guys got arrested for murder. Then the other two guys were inside, smashed the other brother's face into the bar because they got into a bar fight with them and rolled in, they rolled in that one, which ended up tripping instead of knocking him out, killed him, decided oh, they were going to start a riot or, and took him to the Burgermeisters. Uh, the riot left them. So it was just them saying, yeah, 
down with the Burgermeister, all got thrown in jail, tried to escape, failed at escaping, accidentally took out two people from the neighborhood watch, tried to take a hostage, and the child escaped while they were trying to, and accidentally set the house that they were in on fire. Their hostage was tied up, knocked her over on accident, and she fell into the fire. And as the guards are coming to get them, decided to fireball the front of the this this house starting even more fires while they were all everybody was getting distracted with Velaki catching on fire decided this was a good time to escape they're about an hour outside of town going hey we might be the bad guys uh 60 people <laughs> 60 people have died in Velaki 150 are homeless and a quarter of the town is burnt down and i said hey you guys might need to take a break from this. Let's go to Strat, Icewind Dale. Strahd is just watching this, like with a, giving them a golf. Clap. So oh, even better than I. <laughs> I sat there and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this because I'm like, what do I do? What I, this this isn't in the campaign at all. There's there's nothing that prepares you even slightly for this. I'm like, okay. So I sat down with a bunch of other DMs. And I said, what do I do? And they're like, kill them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to kill them. So what am I actually yep. going to end up doing? Is taking their characters that they have right now in uh, Strahd and I'm going to turn them into a minor BBEG. So they're eventually going to come back to these characters. They're going to take their characters from Icewind Dale if they survive and take them into Strahd and that's going to be their one of their BBEGs that they fight. Interesting. I like it. That's a really good idea. uh, Because I was like, I don't want to kill their characters off because I'm like, all right, Strahd's going to come down there and just like faces yeah and they're, they're done and i was like okay well then if i do that then they could be characters in Velaki putting out the fires and that's what brings these guys together but i thought yeah. this would be more fun them having to come yeah. fight their characters because they know them and they set them up so i was like all right that will be fun um no i i i like dming for these guys uh just because of <laughs> how moronic they are they're adorable i absolutely love all of them and the funny thing is none of them are really nerdy um, i believe it and it's great and so i am their gateway drug into the nerdy culture and so now they're a lot more open i'm gonna have my whole office nerdied by the time i get done and actually well i feel yeah. like you know i i assume they're all all sort of around our age for the yes. most part yes yes so like People our age, you know, at least at some point played like a Final Fantasy VII or yes. uh, something along those lines. I actually never played Final Fantasy VII. I played I played nine and ten, and I like those much better. I'm um, actually the same but way. Like, <laughs> but it's like you know, we've all played an RPG at, at some point, so like mm-hmm. we kind of know what it's about. And so many games now have RPG elements that, like, mm-hmm. if you played any kind of video game you're familiar with like the progression getting stronger system. And so D&D sort of on that level makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually never, like I said earlier, I never played D&D until about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, because I always wanted to play D&D as a kid. I read the D&D, the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition handbook, like player's handbook back to front probably three times, but I didn't have friends to play it with because I was, Mm -hmm. you know, we were on tour. So I rolled up so many characters, never got to play, just played video games instead. Uh, now, does your significant other play any, or are you the... She's, yeah, she's joined in. Um, she's, I think she's still working on the role play. So she is not as 
much of a, a, a show person as I am, mm. um, which is funny because she's the extroverted one in this relationship. <laughs> so I'm the one I'm like, no, 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 we can, we can stay in and play video games. She's like, no, we have to go be social. And then like, we get to like role play segments and I'm like, oh, she's giving me the middle finger. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. To, my wife we... listens to my podcast and she's like, you're such an ass. So <laughs> it happens all the time. Do you respond with you married me? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I was like, look, you're stuck with me. <laughs> but chose no. me, dear. <laughs> but it's, so she joins in on your games and everything. Uh, yep. How does it feel knowing that you have this, you get to have this nerdy relationship and have this experience? And especially, I don't like, do you guys do other things besides D&D together? I mean, you do the Ren Fairs. I'm assuming yeah. she comes to them I mean, and looks at you. Booze. We play lots of we play lots of video games together. Um, uh. We play lots of board games together. She, uh, I mean, she's a big Doctor Who fan. Okay. Um, she's gotten me into it a little, a little bit. Not quite, you know. I'm not David Tennant. Matt go Smith. rewatch everything. Um, I actually I haven't watched much of them. I've I've actually gotten in with the new Doctor with jo- um, oh, um, Jodie Whittaker. Yes. Um. So. There's not, I'm trying to think, what, what other nerdy things do we do? Dear, what other nerdy things do we do? <laughs> Have you ever tried to bring her in on one of your shows? As like, no, no that's a strict, <laughs> absolutely not for her. So, for her. <laughs> now, like, one of the very first things she said to me was like, if you ever propose to me, you, it cannot be in public in a, you know, a public proposal oh so, what yeah yeah she does not want to be part of the show she does not want to be on stage I get a nerdy which proposal. is great because she's a camera person so she just films everything okay so, yeah. so does she do all the filming for your shows and everything that were on tiktok oh yeah impeccable yes. job tell her stellar job that is uh, he says stellar job <laughs> and she's and she says she likes laser tag ah that's fun ah yeah um yeah, that, that's that's great. Um, honestly, I, 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 you've answered all my questions that I really truly had. I, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, where can the good people all around the world find you, sir? Um, so, a bunch of places. If you want to hear me in my main job as a radio man, uh, ninety point nine WBUR, ninety point okay. nine FM. In Boston, you can hear it on WBUR.org. And if your local public radio station plays here and now, you can hear me 18 and 38 minutes past the hour when here and now is on doing national headlines. For the circus, uh, best place to find me is uh, jackthewhipper.com. That's just J-A-C-K, thewhipper.com. That'll have links to all of my social media my cameo profile if you want me to send your friend a happy birthday message or something and all the social media like tiktok instagram even facebook uh where they can see all that stuff and an updated show schedule so you can see where i'll be performing i was going to ask you that it's all northeast right now maryland renaissance festival and king richard's fair in uh just outside boston uh hopefully should be adding a couple of other shows uh at some point this year That's, that's awesome actually before we go I did have one other question for you, and I forgot. I can't believe I forgot this. How has the pandemic affected you as an entertainer and the shows? It's been, so 2020 was the first year that I did zero whip shows since I was 
or zero shows period, probably since I was a teenager. Um, if you count like the high, you know, the school musicals and like plays and all that, probably the first time since I was 11 years old, since I did not do that, I did not do any performing in an entire year. Um, wow. So it was a weird experience um, because I enjoy performing. I get confidence from performing. Um, so it was, it was really nice when I came back and I did my show in late 2021, September, 2021 was when I did my first show, you know, in two years, it was a wild experience. It was sort of like, it was like, oh my God, it was like, it was like, you know, coming out of, you know, withdrawal from, you know, on a drug or something. I was just like this experience of like, oh yes, this is what I've missed. Um, so it was, I, I don't think I realized how much I missed it until I started performing again. Um, I actually got nervous for the first time in a long time. Not even nervous, but just like my, the first show I was looking down, my hands were shaking. I'm like my hands don't shake when I perform. I've done this show a thousand times. I've done this, this exact show for this exact crowd many, many times. I see all the regulars here. They've seen my show plenty of times. Uh, but I was just like so amped up to do it again. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm glad it's moving in a progressive direction. And especially with how the pandemic is, seems to be going in a positive direction. And, you know, here's hoping. Fingers crossed. Um, I look forward to seeing you at King Richards uh, up in Mass. Um, and hopefully, you know, you get to go to a lot more locations as the years progress. Uh, again, Jack, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll definitely do some shameless plugs and all the episodes for you, getting all the links in there. Um, so let's go ahead and let's wrap this up. Uh, as always, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are listening to us on Apple, please remember to rate and review. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at DNA Pod uh, and on Twitter at NerdDNAPod. And on our webpage, NerdDNAPod. Uh, I'm your host, Steve Pugh. And this is DNA Podcast. Uh, and I've been joined with the wonderful, the amazing, the impeccable, and the just overall around great guy, Jacques Zewipper. Jack, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you for having me, Steve. It was my pleasure. All right. Thank you. And good night.